This is the Medical Beat on 97.1 FM Talk. You're listening to the Medical Beat. All right, we're back. I'm your host, Dr. Steve Harvey. And okay, hey, so we got uh, we got our guest, Dr. Joe Ogile who is a uh, sleep specialist uh, from the Clayton Sleep Institute, a, a world-class um, uh, clinic for uh, diagnosis and treatment of sleep disorders, and also they do a lot of research there. And uh, so while, while we have Dr. Ogile here, we're gonna pick his brain and find out all about sleep, which is, uh, as you know, a very important thing. So I, I, think, I think one thing that a lot of people are curious about at least it's something i'm curious about is it's what is sleep really for i mean people have these vague ideas of oh it's so your body can repair itself or whatever but but uh, what's do, do we know what sleep is really for could we could we live without sleep what's uh, what's uh, t- tell us about that well, what do they know about the function of sleep so let's 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 start by answering the latter question which is we can't. We cannot live without sleep. Um, hmm. That's that's something that's very clear. We have to have uh-huh. sleep to literally live, um, and long-term sleep deprivation will result in death. So, um, the function of sleep is more difficult. And what we, the longer we study it, the more we tend to see that um, there's significant complexity there as to all the contributions of sleep to our daily well-being. So we're left with really one unifying answer for discussion is we sleep for uh, our well-being and our health uh, both at night and during the day. And, and that becomes really the, the key issue for us. And while that sounds like, like kind of a funny answer, uh, it, it's the answer that, that matters. Uh, and, and why we couch it that way is that the, the many functions of sleep include things like making your immune system work correctly, helping you with your heart health, helping you have vigor and feel good during the day and feel rested. So we can go into those things. But ironically, most of the things we do when we're sleeping help us when we're awake. So I I open by by using that and posing that as both um, a statement and, and a question to the two of you to things that are interesting around that subject. Uh, what, what the other way to look at sleep or why we sleep is what happens when we don't sleep well or we don't sleep at all? What are all the things, all the perturbations or all the bad things that people start coming in with or ascribing to throughout their day? How they feel? Yeah both psychologically and physically. Uh, so it, it's, a, it's a very, very interesting, extremely topical uh, question that you ask and, and, very, and, and a, a key and critical of importance. One last thing, <coughs> pardon me, one last thing to add to that is that if you think about high-performance individuals, such as high-performance athletes, they're now including sleep health as one of the key aspects of their training and preparation for competition. Now, why I bring that into the discussion isn't to, to sort of suggest that any of us or maybe any of your listeners 
are going to be competing at that level, although some of your listeners may be, but that when it rises to that level that high-performance individuals are using it as part of their training, it, it suggests to all of us the level of importance physiologically that these people are putting on healthy sleep as part of their training regimens. Therefore, it might be worthy for us to incorporate into us as we work on being the healthiest and best, best peoples we, people we can be. So that, well, Doctor, that brings up a point. You know, um, as schools have been out for these months, we will be proud. The kids will all be out of school for close to five or six months before yeah. school resumes. And with all the, the activities they've been doing at home, specifically connected to their technological devices, and then going back to a very early start in the school day to long hours of homework, how does that affect a child's performance or a teenager or a young adult's performance? Thank you for asking that, doctor. That, that's a, a very substantial issue for us at, at, at all kinds of, of levels. So let's talk about it as far as the current and then the future. So currently, um, with these current COVID lockdown, I view this, it, it, of course, this is a, a very difficult thing for our, um, our society to go through this. So don't please take from what I'm saying is that this is somehow a good thing. But trying to turn a difficult thing into something that's got positives there is an opportunity for individuals, families, and children to work on healthy habits because okay. they are locked down, because their schedules are liberated from the, the constant running around and so forth. And so, therefore, I think that there's an opportunity to work on good habits such as good sleep health, some dietary changes if they see fit, and then, of course, trying to stay active by being, you know, walking and so forth. But uh, fixing the wake time in the morning and trying to get about 20 minutes of sunlight when you get up, to, and what sunlight does is when you get 20 minutes of light after you get up and having the same wake tide time every day, and this, this will also pose part of the answer to the, the latter question that you asked. But fixing that wake time, we, we don't want to get into sort of bad habits, which is widely varied wake and sleep times. So... The most important thing is to set your wake time. So let's just say for the sake of our conversation, we're going to wake up at 7 a.m. If you wake up at 7, after you, of course, get up and, and move around a little bit, getting about 20 minutes of either sunlight, sitting on your porch, taking a walk, light coming in the window, or sitting in front of your computer using that as light because um, a laptop or a desktop have fairly high, high rates of lux. That 20 minutes of light will go through your retina into your optic nerves, and right behind the bridge of your nose, there's a small gland called the suprachiasmatic nucleus. We, we call that the SCN, and that responds to light and tells your brain you need to go to sleep about eight hours from the time you got that light. So not only does it help keep your wake time stable, it signals your brain when it's healthy for you to go to sleep. It helps cement both of those healthy and important fixed times that we need to have in our lives. So there is an opportunity for families and, and uh, youngsters and individuals to work on those healthy sleep behaviors, which the key is consistency, and then supplementing that with light, 
so those are that's a really important thing as we go forward. Then what you raised, which is such an important issue, is how does our biology change as we get as we go through the stages of life? And one of the things you're implying very directly was that as children age, when our, our children are younger, they tend to get up quite early. But when they start to get to those adolescent ages and become teenagers, their bodies change and their they shift or sleep delay. It's a biologically normal phenomenon. So they want to go to bed a little bit later. They want to get up a little bit later. It isn't just that they're rebelling against all of us, right? There's a biology in there. And so ironically, it's been a national issue, actually a worldwide issue, to look at if we allow the older children to go to school somewhat later, like at 8 o'clock instead of 7, what will happen because it's more biologically appropriate. We're waking them them up to go to the bus stop, basically in one of the worst biological times for them. And they do actually have it. There's study after study showing that when adolescents are allowed to to sleep in and go to school at 8 o'clock or be at school at 8 or 8.30 instead of 7 or 7.30, they do have an improvement in both academic and athletic performance. So it's quite topical uh, for that in general terms. So that's a, that's a whole, those are, those are a lot of words around your answer. And I'm, why don't I let, is there a better question you'd like to ask? You like to yeah. Ask? Yeah. So I, I guess, I guess we know that, you know, just, uh, when people are sleep deprived, they're just not as smart or not, a, not, a, not as on top of things. Do they have some way to quantify that or how, how much of a difference does it make both as far as people's mental health, or at least as far as how... uh... You're listening to The Medical Beat. All right, we're back. I'm your host, Dr. Steve Harvey, and... Let's get that other song out of there. There we go. Okay. Hey, so we got uh, we got our guest, Dr. Joe Ogile, who is a, a sleep specialist uh, from the Clayton Sleep Institute, a, a world-class um, uh, clinic for uh, diagnosis and treatment of sleep disorders, and also they do a lot of research there. And uh, so while, while we have Dr. Ogile here, we're going to pick his brain and find out all about sleep, which is, uh, as you know, a very important thing. So I, I think I think one thing that a lot of people are curious about, at least it's something I'm curious about, is, is what is sleep really for? I mean, people have these vague ideas of, oh, it's so your body can repair itself or whatever, but but uh, what's, do, do we know what sleep is really for? Could we, could we live without sleep? What's, uh, what's, uh, did, Tell us about that. What do they know about the function of sleep? So let's 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 start by answering the latter question, which is we can't we cannot live without sleep. Um, hmm. That that's something that's very clear. We have to have uh-huh. sleep to literally live, um, and long-term sleep deprivation will result in death. So um, the function of sleep is more difficult, and what we the longer we study it, the more we tend to see that. Um, there's significant complexity there as to all the contributions of sleep to our daily well-being. So we're left with 
really one unifying answer for discussion is we sleep for uh, our well-being and our health uh, both at night and during the day. And, and that becomes really the, the key issue for us. And while that sounds like, like kind of a funny answer, uh, it, it's the answer that, that matters. Uh, and, and why we couch it that way is that the, the many functions of sleep include things like making your immune system work correctly, helping you with your heart health, helping you have vigor and feel good during the day and feel rested. So we can go into those things. But ironically, most of the things we do when we're sleeping help us when we're awake. <clears throat> so I, I open by, by using that and posing that as both um, a statement and, and a question to the two of you to things that are interesting around that subject. Uh, what, what the other way to look at sleep or why we sleep is what happens when we don't sleep well or we don't sleep at all? What are all the things, all the perturbations or all the bad things that people start coming in with or ascribing to throughout their day? How they feel yeah. both psychologically and physically. Uh, so it, it's, a, it's a very, very interesting, extremely topical uh, question that you ask and, and, very, and, and a, a key and critical of importance. One last thing. Pardon me. One last thing to add to that is that if you think about high-performance individuals, such as high-performance athletes, they're now including sleep health as one of the key aspects of their training and preparation for competition. Now, why I bring that into the discussion isn't to, to sort of suggest that any of us or maybe any of your listeners are going to be competing at that level, although some of your listeners may be, but that when it rises to that level that high-performance individuals are using it as part of their training, it, it suggests to all of us the level of importance physiologically that these people are putting on healthy sleep as part of their training regimens. Therefore, it might be worthy for us to incorporate into us as we work on being the healthiest and best best people's we people we can be. So that, well, Doctor, that brings up a point. You know, um, as schools have been out for these months, we will be probably the kids will all be out of school for close to five or six months before yeah. school resumes. And with all the, the activities they've been doing at home, specifically connected to their technological devices, and then going back to a very early start in the school day to long hours of homework, how does that affect a child's performance or a teenager or a young adult's performance? Thank you for asking that, doctor. That, that's a, a very substantial issue for us at, at, at all kinds of, of levels. So. Let's talk about it as far as the current and then the future. So currently, um, with these current COVID lockdown, I view this, it, it, of course, this is a, a very difficult thing for our, um, our society to go through this. So don't please take from what I'm saying is that this is somehow a good thing. But trying to turn a difficult thing into something that's got positives, there is an opportunity for individuals families and children to work on healthy habits because Correct. they are locked down because their schedules are liberated from the 
the constant running around and so forth. And so, therefore, I think that there's an opportunity to work on good habits such as good sleep health, some dietary changes if they see fit, and then, of course, trying to stay active by being, you know, walking and so forth. But uh, fixing the wake time in the morning and trying to get about 20 minutes of sunlight when you get up, to, and what sunlight does is when you get 20 minutes of light after you get up and having the same wake time every day, and this will, this will also pose part of the answer to the, the latter question that you asked, but fixing that wake time, we, we don't want to get into sort of bad habits, which is widely varied wake and sleep times. So the most important thing is to set your wake time. So let's just say for the sake of our conversation, we're going to wake up at 7 a.m. If you wake up at 7, after you, of course, get up and, and move around a little bit, getting about 20 minutes of either sunlight, sitting on your porch, taking a walk, light coming in the window, or sitting in front of your computer using that as light because um, a laptop or a desktop have fairly high, high rates of lux. That 20 minutes of light will go through your retina into your optic nerves, and right behind the bridge of your nose there's a small gland called the suprachiasmatic nucleus. We, we call that the SCN, and that responds to light and tells your brain you need to go to sleep about eight hours from the time you got that light. So not only does it help keep your wake time stable, it signals your brain when it's healthy for you to go to sleep. It helps cement both of those healthy and important fixed times that we need to have in our lives. So there is an opportunity for families and, and uh, youngsters and individuals to work on those healthy sleep behaviors, which the key is consistency, and then supplementing that with light. So those are that's a really important thing as we go forward. Then what you raised, which is such an important issue, is how does our biology change as we get as we go through the stages of life? And one of the things you're implying very directly was that as children age, when our, our children are younger, they tend to get up quite early. But when they start to get to those adolescent ages and become teenagers, their bodies change and they shift or sleep delay. It's a biologically normal phenomenon. So they want to go to bed a little bit later. They want to get up a little bit later. It isn't just that they're rebelling against all of us, right? There's a biology in there. And so... Ironically, it's been a national issue, actually a worldwide issue, to look at if we allow the older children to go to school somewhat later, like at 8 o'clock instead of 7, what will happen? Because it's more biologically appropriate. We're waking them up to go to the bus stop, basically in one of the worst biological times for them. And they do actually have it. There's study after study showing that when adolescents are allowed to, to sleep in and go to school at 8 o'clock or be at school at 8 or 8.30 instead of 7 or 7.30, they do have an improvement in both academic and athletic performance. So it, it's quite oh. topical uh, for that in general terms. So that's a, that's a whole those – are, those are a lot of words around your answer. And I'm, why don't I let, is there a better question you'd like to ask? You'd like to yeah. Ask? Yeah. So I, I guess – I guess we know that you know just uh, when people are sleep deprived, they're just not as smart or not a, not a, not as on top of things. 
do they have some way to quantify that or how, how much of a difference does it make both as far as people's mental health or at least as far as how uh, how well people are able to perform oh and give us a quick answer because we're going to go out on break in just a little bit well i, I mean there, there there have been studies looking at improved if i if i think i understand the question correctly is in the adolescents or in in, in all people but uh in, in adolescents they do show measurable improvement in their grade point averages and athletic coaches will will see improvement in their performance um we see improvement as adults the first thing we'll see is improvement in our uh our immune function that's the thing that's most well uh documented uh in the in the literature is immune function because when we didn't get enough sleep our parents used to tell us right you're going to get sick and we do or you're going to break out with acne and you do yeah interesting that's kind of cool hey we're going to be back. we got more questions for Dr. Ojile. We're going to learn about sleep. We're going to learn about sleep disorders. And we'll be right back. You're listening to The Medical Beat. All right. Hey, we're back. This is the Medical Beat 97.1 FM News Talk, and uh, we're here with Dr. Joe Ogile. And Dr. Ogile is telling us about sleep medicine, uh, about various sleep disorders, and uh, the function of sleep, like what's sleep really for. And uh, something that Dr. Ogile mentioned before is that we literally need sleep to live, as in, you know, if we don't sleep at all, uh, then eventually we actually die. And, and some, something out, and just out of morbid curiosity, Dr. Ogile, can you tell us what really happens if someone is prevented, is totally prevented from sleeping? What, what happens to someone who you know, is, is disallowed from sleeping and how, how is it that someone can actually die from that? What, what happens? Well, I mean, they initially, they, what thing will happen when they do go with long, periods of sleep deprivation, eventually the person starts having mental issues, has hallucinations. Um, there's, it's not clear how long people can go without sleeping. So there's been, there's been some studies done in that where people have gone as long as 266 hours, which is about 11 days. Wow. Um, Ouch. But, uh, that's very extreme. Of course, should never be recommended. And uh, but the person will eventually become paranoid, start hallucinating, uh, and then eventually start having cardiovascular and other issues uh, resulting in death. There is a, uh, a genetic disorder called fatal familial insomnia. Uh, yes. Very, very rare. Uh, but uh, so these are these are extreme uh, discussions that are really they're they're, they're subjects of interest, but thank, thankfully, no, no, not things that we see. Um, yeah. Well, well Dr. Ojai, you, know, you bring you well up know. a good point in staying yeah. awake all this time. And so as a psychiatrist, we worry about mania and mania producing very little sleep and it progressing into what you said was hallucinations. And so it becomes a very interesting topic, how sleep deprivation just crosses over into something similar to a psychiatric presentation or psychiatric symptom. 
Yeah, that's well. I mean, as we know, after seventeen to, to seventeen to eighteen hours, people start to become impaired. Um, at twenty-four hours, you have the when it's been studied at twenty-four hours of, of no sleep, you have the same function as someone who is legally intoxicated in the state of Missouri. So, mm-hmm. those are. I think I think that's what you're getting at. And then, Correct. if someone is um, sleep deprived for a long period of time. It's something actually, uh, doctor, that uh, we do have to be cognizant of because there's a, a, a therapy called sleep restriction where we try to get insomnia patients to start sleeping in a more efficient way and a more timely way. But one of the things that we're concerned about, and we do not do this therapy in people that, for instance, have bipolar disorder because it can provoke mania. Mm-hmm. So... Um, you, you do see that, and, and we it affects us directly because we have to be careful um, of, of where we are uh, with these in that particular uh, patient population. But of course, I could see in your specialty in psychiatry how it'd be much more uh, imperative for you. So certainly, the listeners um, can understand the crossover here. Um, so that's that's a big issue for us. Um, we do, and the other thing is that ha- their their hormonal control becomes disrupted and out of order. And one of the common things that gets out of order, of course, is melatonin, uh, which we had mentioned prior. So we may want to discuss that and how you might use that in in a normal setting. Oh, please. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great segue. What up with with melatonin? Does it it work well or or what, what? Yeah. Tell us about melatonin. Well, so melatonin is the naturally occurring hormone. It spikes up just after you actually go to go to sleep, go to bed, um, and it, so we call it the hormone of darkness. And so when melatonin spikes up, it helps you go to sleep and stay asleep. The a great way to think about melatonin is, for instance, when you go from here and travel east. One of the reasons that you have difficulty, say, for instance, we were able to get on a plane or we really had Star Trek and we could beam ourselves over to Paris. We, when we fly over there, we're initially tired because, of course, it, we're disrupted when we get there. We land into their morning, but it's really our middle of the night. But the, the really the more challenging issue is when it comes time to go to bed over there, it's really like late afternoon for us here. And this is where what we call your circadian rhythm or your body's sleep clock is involved. But when you try to go to bed, say at 10 o'clock in Paris or London, it's maybe 4 or 5 o'clock here. Well, your melatonin is not ready to be secreted. This is one of the big contributors to jet lag. So mm-hmm. when you go east, one of the great things to do you don't necessarily need um, a pharmaceutical that's prescription. If you take some melatonin, say five milligrams of melatonin, an hour and a half before you want to go to bed, that will substitute for your normally secreting melatonin until your body's melatonin secretion catches up in about three days and gets in line. So it takes you about one day for every two time zones to get in sync. And so that's, that's one use. So you can take that physiologic example and translate that into our people that we're we're working with here who aren't traveling like that but their bodies are either out of sync because one they're varying their wake and sleep times like we talked about earlier so if you can get them to agree 
to start to go to bed about the same time, you can use melatonin to be taken 60 to 90 minutes before bedtime to help with sleep initiation. And it is, it's, a very, um, it's a very good therapy. It's safe. It's, of course, again, it's natural. And, uh, mm-hmm. and the, biggest da- the biggest mistake we see with melatonin is people take it at bedtime like a sleeping pill, um, mm-hmm. which, of course, makes it less effective. So I hope I'm open to a question about that. I hope that that's uh, an idea that you may find interesting. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, so the optimum time to take the melatonin is, did you say a couple hours before bedtime? About, about 60 to 90 minutes before you want to go to sleep, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, and, okay. and so yeah. that's part of when we see someone who we're working with, we want, to, we want to lay out a holistic plan for a patient when they're trying to do these. So we, we have to do multiple things to get their sleep and wake lined up and, and for them to be able to perform. It's, it takes a fair amount of effort on the patient's part, and it, it's usually a number of small things that all add up to a big thing. And this is one of the, the, the interventions we will frequently do. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's interesting, yeah. I guess another, something I was wondering about if, if we have, and this might be a big topic, so we'll, I'll ask you a, a big topic question here, is, is I, I hear a lot of talk about sleep hygiene, you know, things other than sleeping pills that people do uh, to, help, uh, to help them have better sleep at night. Can you kind of uh, give us a summary of sleep hygiene and what, what types of things people can do to, have, uh, to try to ensure better sleep at night? Mm-hmm. Steve, thank you. That's, that's a really important issue. So yeah. we talked about going to bed and getting up at the same time earlier, so I won't repeat that. And that's, that's first and foremost the thing we have to do. So we have to have good habits. We have to allow ourselves enough time to sleep. And so when we set that wake and sleep time, we've got to give ourselves seven or eight hours of sleep time. Not too much, but we have to set ourselves enough. The, the other thing is, and, and this is um, an epidemic in our society today, is we have to allow our brains some time to get away from the day-to-day world and especially mm-hmm. from technology. So oh, yeah. getting all the cell phones um, you know, no cell phones in the room, computers out of the room, um, getting off technology, um, say, an hour before um, is, a, is a great thing. That will be very helpful. Yeah. And if you get up during the night, do not get on your email. Do not get on your phone. Do not get on your computer. And the reason is, and this is a, it's very, very common, is that your brain is, in a, is just an incredible organ. And once you start, for instance, if you get on your phone at 3 in the morning and check your email, your brain will remember the next night, oh, it's 3 in the morning. It's time for me to check my email, uh, and you'll start waking uh-huh. up at 3 in the morning. Once that starts, it is, it, it, first of all, it's an easy habit to get into. So no judgment here. I, you know, I'll raise my hand and say I've done it before. It is a very easy habit to get into. But once it starts... The brain will keep remembering, and whether you want to check your email or not at 3 in the morning, you will keep waking up, and it, it takes a while to extinguish that. So those are sort of, and then, of course, not having, if you're sensitive to caffeine, not having caffeine afternoon, uh, not eating, you know, a heavy fat or sugary meal at bedtime, 
those are all the elements or the, some of the, the big elements of sleep hygiene. And they're, they're ones we should be doing regardless. Um, yeah. You know, so I, I hope that questions about that. Yeah. yeah. What about the alcohol? Oh, alcohol. alcohol. Yeah. Thank you. Tell us about alcohol. Yes. Yes. Well. Asking asking for a friend. Yes. So asking for a friend. (laughs) So the um, alcohol, I mean, none of this has to do with uh, a value judgment about alcohol. But alcohol, when it comes to sleep, is a very bad combination at all kinds of levels. Number one, um, first of all, alcohol, when you take it at bedtime, as a sleep aid, it does help put you to sleep initially. However, as a, as a medication, it's, it's an extremely poor one because to get the effect of being sleepy on alcohol, the more you use it, it becomes you have to escalate the dose. So right. yeah. if, you, if you start out with one beer to go to sleep, in a, in, a, in a not long period of time, you'll be up to two and then three. And we've seen people who are using up to 18 beers a night to go to sleep. Oh. Okay. Oh. So that's number Seems one. Seems like they'd have to, then they have to pee in the middle of the night too. So that's, that's <laughs> well, going to sabotage then, their And then sleep. that leads, exactly, great segue. Thank yeah. you. That leads yeah, to the other yeah. problem with alcohol, which is after about four hours when you go to sleep, four to five hours, alcohol yeah. becomes neurotoxic. So when you talk to folks that have had um, more alcohol than they should have, and they really want to sleep in in the morning because they're feeling the effects of that alcohol, but they wake up. They wake up at 6 in the morning when they went to bed at 1 in the morning, and they're like, why am I up? My head hurts. I feel badly. The reason they're up Uh is their brain is suffering the effects of the toxic overhang Uh of the alcohol. It becomes neurotoxic. So there's quite a few negatives to alcohol being used as either a sleep aid or in the in, in the hours prior to when you know you're going to go to sleep. So yeah. I, I really appreciate you bringing that subject up because it's, it's an, an important one and one that we frequently have to have conversations with. In closing, many of the people who do see us have already identified that as an issue in their sleep patterns. They just want some help modulating, uh, yes. modulating that behavior. Right. Right. Great information. All right. Ah, well, hey, we're going to be got to go out on break. Chad's giving us that signal and we'll be back in just a moment. Thank you so very yeah, much. Right. And I'll see you Thank again you. next time. Yeah, Thank you, great. Dr. Thank Joe. You mean, Thank nice you. Nice meeting you. Nice meeting you, too. Bye bye. Yeah. You're listening to The Medical Beat. All right, we're back. I'm your host, Dr. Steve Harvey. We've uh, got Dr. Joe Ogile uh, with us here today. And you're listening to The Medical Beat, 97.1 FM News Talk. And we're talking about sleep disorders and uh, the diagnosis and treatment of sleep disorders. And uh, I think the, the, the thing that... Uh, the thing that's on everybody's mind recently is, uh, of course, the COVID pandemic, and at least, at least anecdotally, or what I've seen on on my Facebook feed and casual conversations with friends is, is that uh, the uh, worry about the pandemic has uh, has been affecting their sleep. 
has been affecting their sleep. So uh, what do you think about that, Dr. Ojile? Have you seen that in your clinic? And, and what effects do you think of this? Or what effects have you seen uh, from the pandemic on how people are sleeping? What we have seen, well, we have seen an effect. Uh, and, and again, I would, I, would, I would divide this up into patients. The patients that already were prone uh, to have sleep disorders, um, those who uh, have other health issues, and then those who really don't have any issues at all. The ones that have been prone to have sleep disorders and um, have, have sought care and, and they're under our care have generally navigated it. They've had, they've had some, many of them have had a little bit of a disruption, but one of the things we work with is to teach people skills because sleep is a teachable skill is to teach them some of the skills to counter that. So they're by and large navigating that well, but they still are, are um, they're having to intervene a bit with, with some of the things that we've taught them, some of the techniques. People that have other health, health problems, uh, as we talk to them, especially some of our people that have asthma and chronic obstructive lung disease or have an underlying anxiety disorder, they are, um, a significant number of them are having difficulties. The anxiety over this is upsetting them to the point where it's inhibiting their ability to get to sleep at night. They're feeling, feeling uneasy and unrested during the day. And we're having to spend some time talking to them about what does that mean, what might be some techniques um, to, to help dissipate some of that anxiety. And we're actually, and some of them having to intervene with, with some medication to help calm the anxiety. Uh, so it, the, the folks in this group, them being uh, stuck at home from their perspective, while they want to, they're very driven to not go out because they're fearful of their disease and becoming sick, it also feeds into the same uh, issues that cause you to have difficulty sleeping. So that group uh, is probably the group that in many ways is most affected, affected. And then the group of folks who don't really have any health problems, some of them are calling because they have some nervousness over everything and are having some difficulty with getting to sleep and staying asleep. Most of those individuals were able to, to resolve with just um, some conversation and some distraction techniques as far as winding down, um, things that we would use. And of course, you know, those in psychiatry are quite expert at these techniques, but to wind down and get folks uh, to allow that anxiety and those worries to dissipate. So uh, we, are, we are seeing a fair amount uh, of this happen. And uh, it, it's a, it, it does happen at times with these big events like this big national events. Yeah. Uh, one of the things I saw very early in my career was the, I used to call it the O.J. Simpson insomnia, which is um, <laughs> we had a few people who would come in and they would be, they were telling me how they couldn't sleep. And of course, I was a very um, young physician at that time and uh, very earnest. And I was asking them all these questions. And, and what really came up with several patients was, well, they were coming home from work, they would have a bite to eat, and then they would just watch the O.J. trial obsessively for till two, three in the morning. Wow. Um, and wow. so that, and they recognized that that was something they probably shouldn't do, but it was almost like an addictive behavior and it fed. And uh, so these sorts of things, especially now uh, we have so much wall to wall coverage in the, the news, newspapers, so forth and so on, the internet, that people, it, yeah. it feeds into this 
it becomes it, it becomes like a subtle addiction, I think, in a way, and it, yeah, it's yeah. highly disruptive to sleep. Yeah, so people just can't get away from it, you know. Yeah. No, and and they and they get to the point where they can't get away from it, but then they seek more. And it, it's very difficult. Right. Yeah, it's a really difficult thing on patients. It's, uh, yeah. And, it, and, and and it's it's heartbreaking because you want to help them, and and yet they're they're stuck in that. Uh, so it's 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 really it's really a challenge for them. Yeah, but I, I guess if they're able to, I guess would one of the things that they can do to try to make that better is to simply turn off the TV and stop checking Facebook for a couple of hours before bed or something like that. Well, I would urge that. Actually, that's that's there's 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 several techniques that are related. One, they should shut all that stuff down, all the social media and all the technology especially if they have an issue with getting to sleep an hour or two before bed. They should do that as a routine. The yeah, other thing yeah. is, given what's going on today, one might consider another, another additive technique, which is allot yourself, um, say, 30 minutes or an hour once or twice a day to catch up on the news. Then other than that, no news. Just ah. live life. Yeah. Um, do things that are um, enjoyable or do work, but don't get focused at all on the news. And so uh, basically limiting those inputs, that, that upsetting stimulation, and because the reality is not very much is changing during that period of time. Yes. Yeah. But those that, are some techniques, but these, yeah. these are all things that we're seeing now almost on a daily basis. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but I guess not... Not being so hooked into the news sounds like good advice for everybody, even if they're not. Yeah, having I think all problems. of us. I mean, so, yeah. I find that yeah, during the day yeah. I don't have time for much of anything. So, in the in the uh, early evening, I may want to catch up just a bit. But after that, getting out, walking, doing things that are healthy, they seem to be much more beneficial. Yeah, yeah, and really, probably half an hour checking things out is all the people really need to catch up on the news. So, yeah, you really don't. I mean, I, I but that the. We're, we're veering into more of a personal thing than anything else, but at the end of the day, it's yeah. not—it's not adding a lot to your overall well-being. And if you have right. those tendencies, it—it it clearly will stay with you. And, and people are saying, like, I'm so upset about this, that, or the other, I can't get to sleep. I can't get it off my mind. Well, I, I think we have to step back and say, all right, look, we need to take a positive action here to to make this better. Right. And yeah. removal from the stimulus. Is a is a it's frequently a very positive action. Yeah. Oh, that's great advice. Yeah, that sounds good. But hey, um, I hear the music softly playing in the background, and that's our signal that Chad needs us to get off the air pretty soon. But hey, Doctor Ogile, thank you so much uh, for joining us on the show today. Uh, everybody, remember the Clayton Sleep Institute. Uh, if you have, uh, I guess you guys are still open during the pandemic. Is that correct? We are. We're, we're open. Uh, we, we, we're doing consultation. Mostly uh, we're doing a lot of telemedicine. Uh, we are mm -hmm. doing um, home sleep testing, uh, of course, taking all the precautions. And uh, we'll be uh, doing in-laboratory in testing here very shortly. Um, so mm -hmm. uh, we are open, and, but we are definitely open for uh, consultation and uh, talking to and, and trying to help uh, our patients and listeners. Excellent. Good to know. Thank That's the Clayton Sleep Institute. 
Oh, you bet. So, so glad you could be here. So that's the Clayton Sleep Institute. Uh, if you need them, and you just use Google and find them. And uh, we'll see you next week. Thank you. Thanks for joining us, everybody. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to The Medical Beat on 97.1 FM Talk. 